You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. So, last week we were in Jude 12 through 19, and uh, Jude, remember, is the the brother of James, the half-brother of Jesus, but he identifies himself as a bondservant of Christ. His focus isn't, Jesus is my brother. (laughs) I'm going to rest under that authority. He says, no, I am a servant of Christ. It's good to remember that, that all of his brothers didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. So Jude initially started out, once he was saved and he believed, he starts this this letter, he starts to write about salvation, and really a letter of exhortation is where he was headed, but then the Holy Spirit redirected him. Holy Spirit ever redirect you in the middle of something? He redirected him. And he spoke about the apostate faith, about those falling away from faith. He, he spoke about false teachers, and that's what we've been walking through, and how we are to contend for the faith. We're to fight for our faith. We don't just kind of meander. Something through this, we've talked about the narrow gate and the wide gate, and, and that perspective of the narrow gate. Like, we're not just wandering up this gate. It, it's kind of hard, but we should do it with joy. We should do it with expectation, There's a goal. It's imperative that we know what we believe and why we believe it to be true so we're not led away by by false teachers and apostates. It's also in that as we know what we believe and why we believe it, we can help others not stumble, help others not get pulled away from the truth. So this book, literally, as I see it, is a call to arms. That's why we, I titled it A Battle Cry. Like, this is, this is a battle cry for us in the end times, the times in which we live. We need to be ready. We need to be active and engaged in our faith, not just kind of wandering through it. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. Well, yeah, whatever. No, we engage. We, we live it. We speak it. We breathe it. Like, it is what we do. It's who we are. It is our lifestyle. It is a biblical worldview. It's not just something religious that we do. The exhortation is to put on the full armor of God, to sharpen your sword and begin to walk forward in battle, not in retreat. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 tells us, put on the full armor of God so you're going to be able to stand firm. Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul here goes on telling us to put on that full armor of God so we can effectively resist evil. You know, if you don't put the armor on, you know, the enemy kind of gets in there. He takes that shot. And we're talking, I was talking with Jack about um, you know, he's, he's like, man, those flaming arrows come in. And I'm like, man, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, do you see the, the arrows that the orcs use? I'm going to be really geeky right now. Like they're three quarters or an inch in diameter. They're logs that they're firing. Like that's the way I feel like sometimes. The enemy's arrows are 
they're not just little flimsy arrows. We've got to put the armor on so we can effectively resist those attacks and those times of evil in the day we live in. And in that, we can stand firm because we have it all on. We put the belt on, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and we have the sword. And man, that's a powerful study. I encourage you to read Ephesians 6. But we dress in that armor so we can walk in our faith. We don't put the armor on so we can go sit in a corner, put our shield up in front of us and just stay there. And we put it all on so we can engage in our faith. Someone reached out to me last week about a family member who was looking at a certain, loosely call it, an evangelical church. And as I read their mission statement, it looked great on the website. And as I dug a little deeper, I find that there are those, what we've been talking about, smooth and deceptive words where they're drawing people in and it's legalistic and it's even a, a cult. Are we able to understand what's out there and able to put it against scripture and see because the enemy is very sneaky. He's just gonna walk up with a big sign and says, I'm deceiving you, follow me. Very, very sneaky. So in that question, I was able to kind of give just some information that I could find and it really was hard. I even had Brandon, I had my son looking as well because he's really into apologetics. Like, can we, what can we find here? And, and so we did some work on that. But then I was able to come back and recommend alternative churches for that person. Hey, here are some churches that are close that teach God's word. Like, that's important. That's what we do. That's what we should be doing as Christians. One, we're watching so we don't get deceived. But two, what is somebody else? If I wouldn't have answered, said, oh, yeah, evangelical. Oh, they're evangelical. It's fine. Go. No, what's really there at the depth? We've got to learn and understand and know what we believe. We have to remain aware. We have to ask the questions. And so if you have a loved one who's being deceived, I challenge you to do the research. If they won't listen to you, at least you know how to pray specifically and asking the Lord to intervene. We also want to make sure we never set ourselves up as the only church that teaches truth. Well, we're Calvary Chapel. We're the only ones that do it right. I mean, we are, but that's a different story. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I would say, though, that, that Pam and I took the knowledge that we had from ministry and from the Bible and the experiences that we had, the, the good and the bad, and, and we found such strength in the way Calvary chapels taught the word. I had never heard of a Calvary chapel until like 10 years ago. I didn't know anything about it. But then as we heard and we saw that, that, that teaching of the whole Bible, not leaving anything out, teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, there really is no better way. I remember seeing Pam's notes after Pastor Nate was teaching, and she even took notes when I taught, which was humbling. But, but I started seeing those pages of notes and arrows and highlights, and, and then she'd go back through it during the week and, and digging in. Just, but there's something about just simply teaching the word of God. And I know there's other churches that teach verse by verse as well. And, and yeah, there's some things doctrinally that do different. My own kids' church is a great example. I love them. I love their pastor. They lean on that Calvinism and predestination side, open-handed doctrine in my point of view. But they teach the word of God effectively. God created the heavens and the earth, the Trinity, the virgin birth, the crucifixion, the resurrection, salvation through Jesus alone. Those are the main points. Can we make sure that we're helping people be in a healthy church? Man, if somebody comes here and they're visiting and they just don't fit, like, nah, I'm not, 
let's get them to another church. Hey, well, I, I understand you're not fitting here, but, but hey, have you gone to this church? They teach God's word. And I've done that since we've been here, helping people get plugged into a place where they can receive healthy teaching if they're not here. The idea is this, if we want to avoid being deceived, we've got to get in the word and we need to be around other believers. We need the word and we need each other. Hebrews 4.12 is is kind of the theme for our our YouTube uh, messages and what we used to do on the radio. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, that both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the Bible is indeed alive and powerful. And are we going to let the Bible transform us, change us, guide us, direct us, correct us, and bring us peace and hope? It's all in there. The Lord brought into existence the word of God and the Holy Spirit reveals that message to us into our lives and into our hearts. The the Bible, his word has power to transform our lives, to keep us steadfastly anchored in him when the storms of life happen. No other book in history has the inspiration, the truth, and the power that the word of God does. Hebrews 10, 23 and 25, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another in love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As I said more than once, we're not made to do life alone. It's crucial for us as believers to gather for corporate worship, instruction, encouragement, and service. I know, it sounds like I'm repeating myself, because I am. Because God's word does. And if we're not doing it yet, then we keep repeating it till we do. Okay, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? How is it that you want me to engage? Help me do that. God did not design us to be a lone wolf, to do life on our own. In our Christian faith, we need to be get together. Not, we won't grow in isolation. I think COVID did. COVID isolated everybody. No, we need to not be isolated. We need to engage in the body of Christ. We need to to step up and into what it is that God is doing and what he has for us. That COVID aspect brought a lot of damage to people mentally and spiritually, not just physically. Our participation in a local church not only protects our personal fellowship with the Lord, but it's a vital aspect of how he matures us and transforms us into his image. The corporate church is an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to have accountability. It's a place where where we gather and and there brings peace and healing and restoration. It's It's a place of healing. How powerful is that? When we remove ourselves from that, well, that's when we fall. We're easily deceived. There's not that reinforcement of our faith. Like we need it. So the end time battle cry, I know it's a, it's a creative title, part five. But the subtitle can be keeping yourself in the love of God this morning. Keeping yourself in the love of God. So verses 20 through 25 is our main text. Let's look at 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So we're going to start with keeping yourself in the love of God first, then we're going to come back to building yourselves up in faith. We know that God loves the lovely and the unlovely. 
He loves them both. And he's gonna use both to, to bring to fruition his will. He loves everyone. Romans 5, 6 says, for while we were still helpless or while we were still sinners, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Knowing that we could do nothing for ourselves, the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to declare us no longer guilty of our sin. He chose to forgive us and save us from the penalty of our transgressions, of our sin. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus didn't just die for the nice people or the good people. He gave his sinless life for everyone. You know, I, I, I've told you, I've struggled with that with my dad, like the way my dad was and the way he lived his life. And I led him to the Lord the night before he, he died. But then I was mad at God because why does an evil person get to <laughs> go to heaven? No. God's love is greater than we can possibly imagine. Jesus did this because he loves you so much. And Jude doesn't mean that we're to live in such a way to make ourselves lovable to God, but to keep yourself in harmony with God's ever-present love. So we start with what does the Bible say about God's love, that God loves the ungodly, there's something significant about that statement, God loves me, that's been taken out of context and has been twisted. When Pam and I first started working with youth ministry years ago, um, many, many years ago, it was a, there was a leader there that was struggling with this very thing. She was very brash and unpleasant. And she would say, well, they just need to deal with it because this is who God made me to be. And, and I'm just, this is me. Um, it would be the same with somebody who's living in sin and saying, well, God, God just loves me the way I am. I don't need to change. I don't need to stop doing this sin. I'm good enough. The reality is that none of us are good enough. The fact that God loves us is a reflection on God's goodness, not our goodness. A side note here is, is, is when the, the Holy Spirit identifies sin in your life, deal with it. God loves you. He did something for you. Get rid of the sin. So the perspective isn't, I'm so great that God loves me. But the perspective is, God is so great that he loves even me. All right, we talk about Psalms 139. God knows everything about you and he loves you still. He loves me still. Even He knows me. He knows me and he still loves me. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, it's, it's funny, I have a hard time reading this because I learned it as a kid in the King James and I always sing it. But beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who is, loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. God's love extends everywhere and nothing can separate us from his love. However, we can deny his love. We can de deny the benefits that come from his love. It'd be like somebody who lived on the dark side of the moon. The sun is always shining, but they are never in a position to receive the light and the warmth that comes from the sun. The prodigal son is a great example of a, a father who loved his son deeply. But the son removed himself from that love and he didn't benefit from that love for a season, a season that that son chose. 
He chose to remove himself. Until what? He got to the very end of himself and he came back and was restored. When we choose not to remain in his love, things go south so quickly. They get so bad. The reality is to keep in his love, we must abide in him. Well, what does that mean to abide? To abide is to live, to continue, to remain. So to abide in Christ is to live in him or remain in him. And when a person is saved, he or she is described as being in Christ, held secure in a permanent relationship. So abiding in Christ is not a special level of Christian experience. Rather, it's a position that all of us as true believers should hold. The difference between abiding in Christ and those not abiding in Christ is the difference between those who are saved and those who are unsaved. Do we abide in him? Do we press in? Do we lean on him? Keeping yourself in the love of God is imperative, not optional if we're to mature in our faith. If we're to build ourselves up in our most holy faith, we need to abide in him. Is one way we can keep ourselves in the love of God. And it, it, it means to keep growing spiritually and to keep building up. Jude tells us to build yourselves up in the most holy faith, meaning that we are responsible for our own spiritual growth. Did you know that? You're responsible for your spiritual growth. Not me. Yeah, I have my duties and my responsibilities. So do your elders. So do the others teaching within the church. But you're responsible to engage in God's word and to grow and mature. That's on you. Are you going to learn? Are you going to listen? We always talk about being a learner. It means that we can't wait for spiritual growth to happen or expect others to make us grow. If you have a garden, now I made garden boxes for Pam in the backyard, and you know what? We never got to do it. Like, I made them. The soil was there. Everything is ready. But nothing grew because Pam wasn't able to plant anything or maintain the garden, right? If we want something to grow, we, we've got to do the work in order to reap the benefits. So if we want to grow in our knowledge and in our faith, we have to do the work. He's right here walking with us. He's given us his word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. But we've got to engage in it. We have to make a genuine effort. If we're not going to do the work, then Jude points out, deceivers not only will infiltrate the church, but they'll cause spiritual damage at a minimum. And they may even lead you astray. So we can give opportunities for people to know Christ and, and to grow in their walk with the Lord, but we cannot make somebody grow in their relationship with the Lord. We'd like to. Wouldn't that be great? Just grab a hold of that relative you've been praying for by the back of the neck and pick them up. And we're done. Now you're saved. We can't. We can love them and we can share hope, especially as we get in the Christmas season again and you're going to be meeting with them and having a meal with them maybe. You know, just love them. If the Holy Spirit opens up an opportunity to share your faith, then do it. Otherwise, just, just love them. Foundation. There's some statements here about foundation. There's a foundation of faith in the Bible, foundation of the church that's built on the apostles, foundation of the world is referred to, all referred in the Bible. The foundation of the world is found in various passages. To found something is to establish a thing or lay the groundwork or secure the underpinnings for it. The foundation of the world is a reference to God's act of creation. When scripture refers to something that has been true from the foundation of the world, it means for all of human history. 
But when scripture refers to something that happened before the foundation of the world, the event under discussion occurred before anything was ever created. Eternity past. We don't think about eternity past, do we? We kind of think about creation and eternity going forward. In our passage, building up yourself for the most holy faith has great importance. Abiding, building on the proper foundation. The story of the wise man who built his house upon the rock is found in Matthew 7, one of Jesus' parables. Jesus told the story about two men, one who built his house upon the rock, the other who built his house upon the sand. The house built on the rock weathered the storm and the builder was called wise, but the house built on the sand collapsed and that builder was called foolish. So a question for you as we close out Jude is, is do you have a foundation at all? Or do you just kind of do what I did with my shed? Just kind of built it up and set it down. I mean, it hasn't fallen over yet, but do you have a foundation? Or did you just slap your faith together? Well, I believe in God, and I just kind of put a wall here, and I'll put a window and a door there, and there I go. What's the foundation? What are you building on? What are you building your life on? Is it God's word? Is it listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you abiding in him? Make sure you're taking the time to build or, or maybe you need to repair the foundation. There's times where I've had to go in and repair the foundation, things that got eroded away and, okay, God, yeah, we need that solid piece there. Build upon that foundation. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Do the work. The payoff literally is gonna be out of this world. It's eternity. Praying in the Holy Spirit, something we don't talk about enough, I think, and this is another way to keep ourselves in the love of God the battle against wrong living and wrong teaching is a spiritual battle. It requires prayer, even prayer in the Holy Spirit. It truly is a battlefield of the mind. And man, and even in this paragraph as I'm talking, like there's so many studies we could do, so many things we could engage in within God's word. You remember earlier I quoted out of Ephesians, Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers, against the world forces of the darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Guys, when you're having an argument with somebody, you're not fighting a person. There's a spiritual battle happening. Pay attention to it. Engage it in such a way. Don't hate the person. Start praying. We can be physically in shape. We can be a, a fifth-degree black belt. We're ready to go. We can pro be proficient in many different weapons. It's still not going to do anything against the spiritual battle that is taking place. It's not physical. And, and a lot of it starts right here in our, our little brains, our thoughts. We've got to hold every thought captive, the anger, the lust, the gossip, the greed, the covetousness, the, the wandering thoughts, all of it. And if we don't do that, things become a mess. And they get out of control really quick. That's the way the enemy works. And there are times we just sin. It just happens. But, but other times when we sin, it's because we've been allowing our thoughts to travel. We've been allowing those thoughts. When the enemy comes in, we've been, we've been fostering and helping those thoughts grow. And we don't put them in their place. And then you do sin. And things get more difficult. It'll get easier. The devil is a liar. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That thought comes, go to scripture. 
one of the things I did yesterday when I woke up and massacred my beard, I'm praying and I'm in the bathroom and the mirror's there and I just, I got a Sharpie and I wrote like six scripture references on the top of the mirror. So as I'm getting ready in the morning, I'm looking at the scriptures and I'm remembering what each one of them said because those temptations, those frustrations, those things that come up and the enemy wants to use, oh no, there's a scripture for that. Oh no, there's a scripture for that. And it ends, the last scripture I have up there is, set apart Christ as Lord. Be ready to share the hope that you have with gentleness and compassion. That's what we're supposed to do when we walk out that front door, to engage. If you're not taking every thought captive to obey Christ, then you're gonna be in trouble. If you're succumbing to a stronghold and it's because either, either you don't know the truth of what God's word says about that thing, about that issue that you're having, that struggle, or you're not making use of the, of the truth that you already know. Like you may already know the scripture, but you're listening to that thought instead. Lay scripture to it. If you think about it, the majority of the prayers that we pray are focused on our own needs and those are driven by our, the knowledge of our situation, our view of the picture our view of reasoning and wishes and desires and really in, we're in those times it's difficult to pray as Jesus prayed. How did Jesus pray in the garden? He knew he was going to the cross and what did he say? Take this cup from me. I don't wanna do it, but not my will. Your will be done. Now can we pray that way? God knows this. He gives us the help. He gives us the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You see, we have a helper as we wait for our sanctification. That is where we're gonna be freed completely from sin. We're gonna be in God's presence. But the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us by praying for us, by interceding for us with, with unspoken groanings even. There's times where I didn't know what to pray and I'm just crying out to the Lord in the spirit. I got nothing. God, I don't even know how to handle this. I can't do it. And the Holy Spirit intervenes. I'm glad the Holy Spirit's praying for us and we don't know what to pray. We don't know the, the language of prayer like God does. We're foreigners wandering in a, a country completely helpless. If you've ever been out of our country and you're, you've got a language that you don't know, like we did, I've done a ton of trips to Mexico. I don't know Spanish. I always had interpreters, but I'm lost without them. So as the Holy Spirit intervenes, the Spirit of God translates for us. The Holy Spirit maybe even do it through the, the gifts of tongues, the gift that, that God gives those with the seeking heart and as he sees necessary, he gives us that gift. And then remember, we as Calvary Chapel, we believe, I believe, that all the gifts of the Spirit are active today. Yes, they're to be used decently in order according to Scripture. But more than a focus on speaking in tongues is this. Are you, are you spending time pressing in and tarrying before the Lord? That's something we've, we've forgotten how to do. Do we spend time in that prayer closet? Do you have a place? You know, I love it. John has a room where he goes to pray. Whew. Oh, that we would all have a room, a place where we shut everything else out and just pray. Just get on our face before the Lord. Are you asking the Holy Spirit to intercede on your behalf? 
If you have the gift of tongues, are you using it? But again, we've got to do the work. You've got to engage. Talk to God. John Calvin said, such is our sloth and such is the coldness of our flesh that no one can pray right except he be aroused by the Spirit of God. No one can, be, can pray as he ought to without having the Holy Spirit as a guide. Are you relying on the Holy Spirit as you pray? Another way we keep ourselves in the love of God is waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to the eternal life. As we keep the blessed hope of Jesus' soon return alive in our heart, this effectively keeps us in the love of God. It helps us not give away our faith. Are we anticipating? Is that that same aspect of walking up that narrow road? Man, are we doing it with joy? Yeah, it's some hard work, but it's going to be okay because look, there's where we're headed. What is our perspective? It's how we should walk that narrow path with excitement, with anticipation, with joy, not dread. And we hear stuff all around us and we get dread, dread coming into us and anxious and oh, what's gonna happen? And depending on your eschatology, either you're awaiting the rapture of the church, which I believe will happen soon, or you're waiting for Jesus' to return. If whatever, we don't, I won't even argue about that. Whatever, come, Jesus, come. That's all. We're ready. However you wanna do it. You wanna rapture us? Man, let's go. You're gonna come back? Just, just do it. Let's do it. But are we really ready? We should be excited. Are you excited about Jesus' return? Either way, we should be engaging. Are you living your life to the fullest as a Christian? Are you engaging in that faith with joy? That's the purpose of remaining in his love. We're awaiting his return. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. And then we have, that was the inward look. Then we take the outward look. We'll look at people who are around us and have a proper perspective and discernment, not passing judgment, but judging fruit so we know how to act and react as we do engage with people. Verses 22 and 23. And have mercy or compassion on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Remember, we've been talking about these certain men, and here we shift to those who have been influenced by the teachings of those certain men. False doctrine. This is where the Holy Spirit helps us yet again, that having the gift of wisdom and discernment and the gift of knowledge as we engage in those situations, asking for wisdom as how to best handle each individual based on where they're coming from. It's not worth an argument. Can we share hope? This is for us too. There are some who need compassion that we meet and there's some who need a quick, just a kick in the pants, right? But it's to be discerning 
about what it is that God is saying and doing in each situation. It's imperative for us as we mature in our walk with the Lord that we've got to watch out for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and we've got to watch out for the rest of the family of God. Those relationships are important and we've got to have compassion and mercy on those who are doubting or wavering in their faith. They're struggling a little bit. As Christians, we all struggle in our faith from time to time and we need that compassion. We, we also need to extend that compassion to others as well. It's thinking of church. You know, when Pam and I first came to, the, to Calvary Belmar, man, Pastor Nate and Jen, man, they're wrapping Band-Aids on us and putting some, some medicine on us and bringing healing. That's what the church is supposed to do, bring healing and restoration. That's what it's supposed to do. And there are others who aggressively need snatched out of the fire, meaning they need to be redirected in their relationship or, or their behaviors that indeed will burn them. That second group, though, we've got to be very careful with. We, we have to move and speak with wisdom, with forethought, and which mu with much prayer, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. A, a thought here is that, that just as you could be polluted by the clothing of a leper, helping others overcome their sinful tendencies could drag you down with them. The idea is that we reject the sin, but we're going to help the sinner. And trust me on this, I've, I've been burned by other people's sinful tendencies. And Pam and I, as in youth ministry, used to always counsel youth against missionary dating. You ever hear that one? Well, no, they're not saved, but I'm going to get them saved. We're going to date. Hmm. How'd that work out for you? Nine out of 10 of them? Mm -mm. Start walking away from their faith. Start walking away from God. The opposite happened. They were dragged away from God. So we have to be very cautious again. We have to put on the full armor of God. We have to use wisdom as we approach different people in different manners. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so we can know when we should comfort and when we should rebuke. Christians should not abandon a friend, though, that's flirting with false teaching, because that's kind of our response. Like, hey, hey, dude, you know that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And they're like, oh, forget you. I'll do what I want. And then we're like, okay, see you later. Basically, what you just said was, oh, okay, brother, go to hell. Literally. Like, no, we love on them. We encourage them. We pray about that opportunity to help bring them out of that. So don't abandon those friends. Protect yourself and position yourself in a way that you can love them. Be intentional. No matter how bad the person is acting or how bad the doctrine is, we're not to hate them or be dismissive of them or unconcerned for their salvation. That's a soul that needs to go to heaven. And we need to do what we can to engage instead of dismissive and kind of backing away from it, which we do. I've had to ask God to break my heart for people because in the flesh, yeah, they've made this statement, they're doing this thing, and in the flesh, I didn't care, they're being dumb. And God gently reminds me how dumb I am and how dumb I was, yet he still loved me. So we love them, we speak truth to them, we don't compromise, we don't change that, that level that we've set. This is our standard, we don't move that bar. We love them, we encourage them, we allow the Holy Spirit to use us. I always pray. I pray all the time. If people aren't listening to me, Lord, would you send somebody else? Maybe somebody that they would hear. So two approaches. One, compassion, watching over someone with accountability. 
Wesley said, meantime, watch over others as well as yourselves. Give them such help as their various needs require. That means we have fellowship, doesn't it? That we're with each other as the body of Christ. And others, save with fear, that second group, they need to be confronted more strongly. But in fear, not sanctimonious superiority or a holier-than-thou attitude. You're going to get, they're going to call you that anyways. But don't give them extra reason to do it. You need to pull them out of the fire, but don't do it with pride. The outward look is important. It demonstrates that we're not only concerned for our own spiritual welfare, but we're genuinely caring about other Christians who are edging towards significant error, struggling, things that can cause them harm and maybe even cause harm to their loved ones, to the rest of their family. And last but not least, we look up. Eyes on God. He gets all the glory. Now to him who is able, verses 24 and 25, to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That's powerful. You know, I try, I mean, follow the example of, of Pastor Chuck. And often at the end of service, you guys hear me read from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And then I add, may your faith be seen and may God be glorified in all you do. What powerful statements to think about. Or maybe you've heard, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That was originally written as a hymn, and it was taken into account, Psalms 96 and Psalms 150, which says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Are you doing that? You know, when we start praising the Lord, not just in here, when you're doing that on a daily basis, what happens to some of those fears, those struggles, those worries? Now we're praising God. Like I put the worship music on and crank it up. Oh, let's worship. God, I praise you for this day. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Oh, that we would say hello and goodbye to each other as scripture says. Hello, greeting fellow bondservant of Jesus Christ. It is I, Scott, servant by the will of God. Or goodbye, brothers and sisters and Lord, until we meet again here or in eternity. May the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now we walk in the door like, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Okay. Hey, see you later. Have a good day. Okay, good, you too. Where's that relationship piece? May God be with you and empower you and strengthen you. Sounds so amazing, doesn't it? Verses 24 and 25, Jude closes the letter with that famous doxology, that, that brief declaration of praise to God. Jude's doxology reminds us of God's care and of our destiny. Life around those he, he wrote this letter to, it, it had been heavy. This is a letter of warning. As we get into this study, it became clear quickly to me that, that this was a heavy book. It's just a little book. 
It's 25 verses. How can that? Wow. So heavy at times. So pointed. Not just the time frame it was written to, but man, it, it's for us today in 2023. And it could be depressing to the readers. And there was so much false teaching and immorality in the world. And how narrow is that path to heaven? And man, very few Christians are going to make it. The answer lies in the fact that it is the power of God that keeps us. We can't keep ourselves. He is able to keep you. You and I are not able to keep ourselves. And that hard question comes up, one that kind of bit me. Is God still God if? Is God still God if your loved one is healed or if that financial need is met or, or if your car doesn't cost you $1,000 to fix? And is God still God if he takes care of that? Yes, absolutely, right? But then the flip side of that, is God still God if your loved one isn't healed and they go to heaven? Is God still God if there's still a financial struggle there or something else happens? The answer doesn't change. Yes, he's still God. He is in control. He is able to keep you and I. He sees you. He sees what you're going through and he loves you. So we have to keep our eyes fixed on him. I pray often that, Lord, give me vision beyond the circumstances. You know, this week, just kind of grinding through stuff through the weekend. But in that, I kept my eyes. Okay, Lord, I see this is happening and I feel it. What's causing that feel? I don't know, man, I'm struggling. Okay, Lord, what are you doing? How are you working through this? He is still God. Any of you ever rock climb? Anybody? One of us, two of us, a couple of us. Believe it or not, I used to. Wouldn't catch me doing it now. I wouldn't mind repelling, though. Repelling is so fun. Free fall? As long as it's controlled. <laughs> um, but as I learned to, to climb as a youth, man, I was with a couple guys that were experienced climbers. Like, we would climb up the cathedrals up there in Boulder, and then later I'd free climb going probably shouldn't have, but <clears throat> do a lot of free climbing. Free, uh, Mount Evans, you look at Mount Evans? I've been there. You look anywhere. <laughs> it's fun. But, but when I learned, I learned with somebody who was an expert. And we're connected with that rope, right? And we're climbing, and why is that expert there? That expert is there to make sure I don't die. I did fall 50 feet once, but I was connected to him. Caught me, Right? The system worked. There's a reason for that. If I slipped, if I lost my grip, I wouldn't plummet to my death. In the same manner, if we could keep connected to God, yeah, we may fall, we may struggle, but, but he's gonna grab us. He's got us. We're not gonna hit the ground. Like stay connected to him. Your salvation is secure through Jesus. Jude began the letter by addressing those who, who were preserved in Jesus that he exhorted Christians to avoid dangerous men, to keep themselves in the love of God. And now at the end of the letter, he concludes with recognition that it is ultimately God who keeps us from stumbling and falling. But we've got to do the work. Stay in that. Stay engaged in that relationship. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, 
work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. Position yourself in a way that God is using you and you're growing closer to him. When Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he means that we're to give careful attention to our actions and to our behavior. We're to represent the one who saved us with honor and humility. God is working in you today. Are you responding? He's keeping us spiritually safe. But can you, you can always tell people who are doing the work and who he's working in because they are working also, they're engaged. Something happened after COVID. I watched people walking into church with an open Bible going, okay, man, this was a mess. That was a train wreck. Okay, God, what do you got? Like their hearts are open and ready to receive the word. That's the way we need to be. Lord, what do you have for me? God doesn't call us to simply let Christian life happen. He doesn't command us to save ourselves. He calls us to a partnership with him. He calls us to a relationship with God. Not a religious duty, a relationship that grows. If you want to have a relationship with somebody, you, 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 you invest in it, don't you? You want that friendship? You invest in it. You want that marriage to work well? You invest in each other. You communicate. You want those family members? You invest in it. It's the same thing with God. It's not a religious duty. It's a relationship that you need to invest in. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can approach the throne of God. As God is faithful, we won't have to slink in shame into the presence of God. We can be presented before him with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. And the, the New King James says, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise. This reminds us of God's wisdom, glory, and power. Jude isn't saying that we can, can or even should give these things to God. When we acknowledge, though, and we declare the truth of God, it glorifies him. It lifts him up. We, we personally aren't giving God more majesty and power. We're not that. We don't have that. He's simply recognizing, we're recognizing it and we're declaring it before all time, both now and forever. Could also be translated unto all ages. That's a, the perfect wording for eternity. For eternity. We have hope. Our victory, our triumph in God is forever. Guys, we're victorious. Yeah, circumstances and life stuff is hard. Stay focused on Christ. Stay focused on eternity. This is a great little book. Reminds us of the importance of being in the word, understanding what we believe and why we believe it. So we went to how to discern the false teaching that's occurring and how we can help others actively engage. Because there is indeed serious deception in the world. Even talking with, with Mike and Nate out in the foyer, like the government even, they have these little things they slide underneath there. Nobody's watching, it's under the radar. Things are crazy. But God... God is in control. The enemies of the gospel, they try to infiltrate the church. Despite the greatness of that threat, our hope is that God is greater still. I read the whole book. <laughs> we win. Stay focused on that. He has the victory. We stay on course with him and we're guaranteed that victory as well. A book of warning, but a closing of Supreme confidence in God. Yeah, we learn, we're living in the, the last days. We're living in hard times, heavy times. And it may get, most likely, get heavier. 
when our focus is on Almighty God who walks with us and has a plan and a purpose for each of us. We just need to engage in it. God asks us to cooperate with him in the process of sanctification. It's he who conforms us to the image of Jesus by his power and his infinite wisdom. He's the one who makes us holy. He's the one who makes us perfect forever, which is why we can joyfully anticipate our total transformation. Right? Being in heaven, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's where we want to be. Every tear is going to be wiped away. Not going to have those aches and pains. We're going to be praising God in his presence in heaven. How powerful is that? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this this little book of 25 verses that just kind of, well, just slammed me, but thank you for using it. Something at first that that we see your word, Lord, that we would understand the importance of it, something that seems to be, well, this is an easy read, but but God, so much deeper and so much more powerful as we rely on your Holy Spirit and as we engage in studying. So Lord, help us to take this little book and apply it and to use it. Help us to remember that you are indeed preparing us for all that you have prepared for us. And even though these days, they may seem heavy and life things seem heavy, well, you have a plan and we have hope in you. So help us to keep our eyes on you, not the circumstances that we're walking through. We simply ask for your help. Help us have broken hearts for those that are lost, for those that are being deceived, to not be dismissive. So fill us with your Holy Spirit every day that we may discern as to if we're to extend compassion, confrontation, but in all that, Lord, may we be in conversation with you. May, may we be prayerful. God, we can't do it without you. We can't do life without you. We need you. We're asking that you help us. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21 says, the, the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. The waters toss up refuse and mud, and there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. You see, if someone doesn't have a relationship with God, they haven't experienced God's forgiveness. Maybe that's you this morning. You haven't, haven't experienced his, his forgiveness, and, and you don't have that peace. And there's nothing in this world, no possession you can have, no, no thing you can do that's gonna bring peace. That, that void that's there that happened because of sin in the garden, it, it's always gonna be there. You can't fill it with drugs and alcohol and sex and pornography and uh, finances, money, uh, status. You, you can't even fix it with, with doing religious things within the church. You, you need that relationship with God. You need to be restored. Christmas time. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Christmas. It is the season. Christmas is all about God fulfilling his plan for redemption. All these decorations. That's just a frame. A frame for Jesus in the middle. The center of that picture. The birth of our Savior. 
God becoming man in the form of baby, a baby. Jesus being willing to come down and to give his life, knowing that when, when his feet hit the ground, he would live a perfect example in life, but then he would be that perfect sacrifice in death and his blood would be shed for our sins. He surrendered his will. Not my will, but your will be done. And he laid down his life so you and I could be restored with, the God, with God the Father. Dying on the cross, where three days later he rose again. Because of that act, we can have a restored relationship with the Father. We repent. We turn from our sins. We ask for forgiveness. And we believe. Confessing and believing. You have a free choice. You have free will. You, but you have the responsibility to choose. You can choose to confess and believe and spend eternity in heaven. Or you can choose to decline and to deny and spend eternity in hell. The Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Confess and believe. It's that simple. You don't have to have everything in order. God takes you exactly where you're at. It's after that point that you surrender that you begin to work on things in your life. He's ready for you right now. Whether you're in this room or you're listening online. So if you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you and you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, I'm just going to ask you to say a simple prayer. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, pray something like this. Dear God, I know I need you in my life. And I ask you to forgive me. I've struggled. I've tried things on my own. None of it's worked. And I need you. I surrender. I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe you, Father God, raised him from the dead for my benefit. So Jesus, please be Lord of my life. Help me and use me to bring the hope that I have now to others. Help me to push away from the world. Help me to push away from the false teachings and to fight for my faith on a daily basis. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, it's just the beginning. Every Christian in this room surrenders on a daily basis. It's just the beginning of a walk that's going to be awesome. And I'd love to know if you prayed that in the room or if you prayed it online, just shoot me an email, scott at foothillscalvary.org, and we'll get back to you. God is doing a new thing in you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. Amen. Amen. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.